Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. It's just me, Christina, and our guest, Nicola Salmon, discussing fertility in a larger body. There are a lot of misconceptions out there and medical stigma around getting pregnant, fertility treatment, if you're in a larger body, and today we're setting the record straight. Nicola Salmon is a fat-positive fertility coach and author of Fat and Fertile. She helps fat folks navigate getting pregnant in a weight-obsessed world and advocates for change in how fat people are treated while accessing help with their fertility. Nicola uses a unique fat positive framework to support people in finding their own version of health without diets, advocate for their bodies, and learn how to trust their body and believe in their ability to get pregnant. If you're interested in learning more about Nicola, all of her info, Instagram, book, website, all of the things can be found in the show notes. This is the beginning of a series mixed in with our other episodes that I'll be hosting with various guests on prenatal nutrition, postpartum nutrition, mental health, body image, and feeding kiddos in a non-diet weight-inclusive approach. And I'm really excited about this because I'm really, really pumped to announce that I am actually pregnant with number two, and I am due this June. So super psyched. And so this is really special to me and I'm really glad to have you guys along the journey and this will be all mixed in with our normal episodes. So stay tuned and welcome to today's episode. And today I have Nicola Salmon or Salmon? Salmon, like the fish. Fish, nice. I like it. Well, I love salmon. So that's even better. And I'm notoriously awful at pronouncing names. So I'm not surprised that I didn't just read it exactly. (laughs) And today we're going to be talking about all things fertility, particularly navigating fertility in a larger body. That's something that I find to be, you're really like the only person I know who's talking about this. And When I originally found you, I immediately was like, thank God someone is finally talking about this because there is so much misinformation out there. And as someone who was, who is a clinical nutritionist, I never learned any of that misinformation, you know, a lot of times in school. And so I feel like even now there's so much stigma around fertility in a larger body. And it's so strong that a lot of people don't know what options are available to them or think that it's their fault. And so you specialize in specialize in this very topic and you have an incredible book and you devote your work to helping people navigate fertility. And I just think it's so amazing to have you on. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it is my pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing, you know, just how important this topic is, because like you said, like there is so much misinformation out there and the, you know, I've been doing this work for like three plus years now, and I'm still finding things that like, that just blow my mind, like that are just so many different ways that weight stigma and anti-fat bias impacts the way that fat people are treated and can navigate this space. It just, 
you know, every single time I think, okay, I, I know it now. I know how this impacts folks. Like another way, another system, another thing just like comes along and blows me away. So we need more people in this space talking about this, sharing their experience and their expertise so that we can fully allow folks to have the choices, the options and all the support they need in order to grow their families. Absolutely. So before we jump into the discussion, I would love for you to share with us what made you get so passionate about this topic and what was your journey to helping people navigate fertility in a weight inclusive way? So for me, I thought I was going to have a problem getting pregnant. So I was told at 16 that I would really struggle to get pregnant. I was diagnosed with something called polycystic ovarian syndrome um, or PCOS. A lot of folks know what that is now. It's like a metabolic and hormonal condition. But 20 years ago, we didn't really have the internet. We didn't really have spaces we could go and share and learn all about things. So I was just told, go on the pill. That will regulate your cycles. You won't be able to get pregnant or you'll really struggle. Um, Oh, and lose weight. Like those were the (laughs) many problematic things that I was told when I was diagnosed with PCOS. And my story, I think... You know, a lot of people have had similar experiences with their doctors where their doctors either haven't been informed about it, don't really understand PCOS or, you know, they've just been given no support, no advice, you know, just told to lose weight, gone on their merry way. And that was my experience for, you know, my teens, my 20s. I pursued weight loss because I thought that was what the quote unquote healthy thing to do was. Um, obviously that led to disordered eating, binge eating disorder, um, and a really poor relationship with my body. And of course my weight didn't go down, stay down. It went up, it went down, it went up, it went down. Um, and I got to a point in my late twenties when we decided we were ready to have children. I'd met my husband and I thought it was going to be really hard. And at this point I was a fertility coach. I was working with folks with acupuncture Um, So I knew a lot around fertility. I knew a lot around what to expect, but I just thought things were going to be really hard and that we'd have to go down the IVF route and that things were going to be impossible because my cycles are like 100 plus days. I had no idea when I was ovulating. So we just thought, okay, we're going to start getting ready to start and see what happens. And then I got pregnant and it was really easy. There was no tracking, no testing, no dieting no nothing and for my first pregnancy I was super anxious because I was still in this space where I thought that because I was in a bigger body that I was gonna have all these things go wrong so I thought that I would have a pregnancy loss I thought that I would have gestational diabetes all these things that were told possibly or probably will go wrong for folks in bigger bodies I thought were going to happen to me um so yeah I was incredibly anxious in my first pregnancy and um It was during towards the end of my pregnancy that I decided that I really wanted to have a home birth and a water birth. Um, And in the UK, that's really restricted because of BMI. And I had to really fight for that. I had to really do a lot of research, sit down and figure out, you know, is this something that is too risky for me? And actually, the research says that absolutely not. Like folks in bigger bodies can have water births, can have home births, and it can absolutely be a safe and valid choice for people. So I had to go and advocate for myself. And that was the very first time that I'd had a conversation like that with a healthcare provider where I hadn't just sat there and nodded and gone, yes, 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 of course, of course, I'll do exactly as you say. Um, 
and they said they agreed they said yes you can do that and in the end it didn't work out that way but um it was so liberating to have that discussion and to have researched that topic and gone actually I know what's best for my body and this is a choice that I'm going to make um and that was so empowering but yeah after that I got pregnant again super easily with my second son and it was when my first was maybe about six to 12 months old. That was my point in my own journey with my body and with food that I said enough is enough. Like I have a new baby. I am exhausted. I have spent so many years dedicated to trying to make my body smaller and I've got nothing to show for it. So that's it. I'm done. I'm done with dieting, done with weight loss and done with weighing myself and Luckily, at that point, I was really lucky to stumble upon other folks in bigger bodies who were like, you know, just here, not dieting, doing their thing, being happy. And I was like, holy moly, like maybe this is this is a thing. Like maybe I can be happy and fat. Maybe those two don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, And that was like the start of my own body acceptance journey and discovering the health every size movement and intuitive eating. And it was at that point, you know, when I was doing my fertility work and on my own realization, I was like, there's nobody talking about how how harmful the fertility industry is, how so much there's so much diet culture. Every fertility nutritionist talks about weight loss, about managing food. And I'm like, why isn't anybody talking about how harmful and how dangerous this is? And it was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to have to start talking about it. And that is just what I've kept doing ever since. <laughs> no, I love it. And you know what's when you first started talking about your PCOS journey and you said, um, that was my experience 20 years ago. And I'm thinking, oh man, it hasn't changed that much, mm. you know? And I think that that's like one of the, the sad things too, is that a lot of people are still being told just to get on birth control and that's the end of it. And there's still so much work to be done. And it's, it's hard because it feels like if you start diving into different modalities for supporting PCOS outside of just birth control, you're automatically kind of entered into the world of integrative stuff. And when you hit the integrative stuff, it's not any less fat phobic, it's still as fast fat phobic, if not more fat phobic. And then it really creates like the perfect breeding ground for that, um, food relationship struggle and a hierarchy of food because they, they demonize so many things. And basically if you ever have like a cookie or enjoy yourself in any way, shape or form or have some pasta, God forbid someone enjoy a bowl of pasta. You know, it's your fault that you can't get pregnant or it's your fault that your PCOS is unmanaged. And I mean, from someone who is integratively trained, it's incredibly infuriating that it has such that those are the two places that people can land for getting support for PCOS and getting support for fertility in general. I mean, there's so many reasons, there's so many things beyond PCOS for why people might have fertility difficulties and challenges too. And so one, I'm just, I'm kind of at awe that when you said like, that was my experience 20 years ago, I'm thinking, man, I can name multiple clients of mine who that's still their experience. And it's 2021 now. I mean, 2022 now. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's January. Um, So it's kind of crazy to me to think that that's still happening. And, you know, I'm, I just find it so frustrating that the, 
that those are the, the only options. And so I'm so glad there's like this breath of fresh air <laughs> that is you that sharing different things. And I love how on your Instagram, you really share some of the research and how you advocated for yourself and you encourage your followers and the people reading your book to advocate for themselves too. Um, and how to do that and how to, and how to navigate all of those pieces. And so I'm wondering too, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to getting fertility support in a larger body? Mm, I mean, there are so many. I think the first one is that you have to lose weight in order to be able to access care. Like it can feel like that sometimes, like if, if you need to go and access like fertility treatment or you need to get tests or something like that often it can feel like every provider that you go to will be like lose weight lose weight lose weight but there are providers out there who are health at every size focused or that will give you any test or any treatment you need they can be more difficult to find but they are out there and that is absolutely the care that you deserve so I just want folks to know that people like that do exist even though it can feel like sometimes you're looking for a needle in a haystack um that they can be trickier to find I have a list on my website that I'm continually updating and creating to I'll make it easier that's for sure yeah great but yeah they there exist and that, that is the care that you absolutely do deserve to get so you would say that the biggest misconception is that you have to lose weight mm-hmm. yes yeah. come from originally like where do you think that came from originally the BMI piece when it comes to fertility do you think that's PCOS related or is there other pieces of the research around that too it's really multifaceted. I mean, obviously, there's the whole foundation of BMI in healthcare, like that underpins so much of our healthcare system to begin with. Um, but especially around fertility, there is a there's a huge cost implication as well, because by making a barrier around BMI and um, kind of fertility treatment, you automatically exclude like a third of the population from accessing this care. And for something that isn't deemed like, often it can, fertility is like one of these strange like pieces in healthcare where it's absolutely vital for folks who are navigating this to be able to access care. But healthcare systems can see it as more like an optional thing. Like it's not like life threatening illness like fertility but I mean for folks going through it it feels like that because you know you do not feel like your life is complete if you want to grow your family um but healthcare systems don't see it that way they see it this is optional therefore if they can reduce costs if they can find ways of cutting costs then that is absolutely what they'll do um and that is a huge part of the UK piece because we have free at point of service healthcare with the NHS and the reason that we have a BMI limit in the UK is because that automatically excludes a third of the population and they want to just put, put costs put corners and put you know how they navigate that service so it's terrifying that they are doing that because it is basically you know just deciding who gets to grow their family and who doesn't purely based on body weight. Yeah. That's, um, kind of disgusting, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> not kind of, I mean, it is really disgusting when you really sit down in the way that you just described it is just, Oh, it's, it's cutting costs for, and it, and it is, you're right. It, it really is making the decision for who is deserving of 
growing their family through that through that process and who's not. And in the US, I know that we see it here from a state to state thing too. And even for this isn't the topic for even for the LGBTQ um, T plus like community, um, that it can be a big issue there as well. And like some states cover it, some states don't, and it's, it's just so, so many multi-layered in that way. And so I'm, so what's interesting to me is what you said is, and I think this is really important for everyone who's listening to note this at no point, did you say anything medically relevant about BMI <laughs> fertility treatment? It really came down to a money game. Is being medically relevant around BMI and IVF treatment or IUI treatment? So again, it's many layered, like it's very nuanced. And the research is quite muddy because research is done by humans and humans are inherently biased. And we are all, we all have anti-fat bias because of the culture that we've grown up in. And it is impossible to find and navigate that research easily when so many people are clouded by that judgment so I'll give you a really good example there is a book that is well renowned in the fertility space that kind of goes into um fertility in bigger bodies but it is done from a very weight central perspective and they go into a lot of the risks around pregnancy because obviously they're relevant when you're looking at fertility and um they look at all the research around pregnancy loss and on BMI. And what they decide is that it there is definitely a link between pregnancy loss and BMI. There is a higher risk of that happening for folks in bigger bodies. But when you look, as they go through each of the, the research papers that they found, actually there's about a third that show no correlation, nothing at all. There's about a third that show that there is a statistically um significant correlation and then there's about a third that show that there's a correlation but it's not significant and we can't um you know extrapolate any information from it so about a third of the data shows their argument is right and two-thirds show it's not yet they then conclude that because we know people in bigger bodies are automatically more risky then we are going to make this assumption um and this 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 is in so many different spaces and of course, none of the papers that look into this take into account two huge factors that we know impact folks in bigger bodies, that is weight cycling. So the idea that your weight goes up and down when you're going through weight loss and weight regain after um, dieting attempts, and also weight stigma, so the, the impact in the environment that you're in and how that impacts your healthcare, how it impacts how you navigate the world. Um, and we know that both of these things have a really big impact on people's physical health, mental health, and they're not taken into account at all in any of the research. So yes, it's not black and white. It's very tricky to navigate through all the the bias that you see in the papers, but a lot of the research that I find shows that fertility treatments are just as effective for folks in bigger bodies. They're just as safe. Pregnancy rates are often very comparable. The risks are still low for all these um, potential um, things that could go wrong or complications in pregnancy. And none of these factors should hold people back from being able to access the care that they need to grow their family. Yeah, you know what I was just thinking that I find to be, it, it's so clear that it's so much confirmation bias that they're using. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, to be perfectly honest, who wouldn't use their research to support the argument <laughs> that they're trying to make? Like, of course, really? 
that, right? Absolutely. But I think another thing that's kind of interesting too, that you got me thinking about is, did they at any point even talk about how severe the risks are for pregnancy loss and fertility if someone is underweight or malnourished? No. Right? (laughs) That and I- so one-sided. So one-sided, right? Because I think about so many people who- I mean, I've seen as, as an eating disorder special specialist, and that's who I work with most of the time. Um, the conversations that I'll have with people is, well, you're not eating enough. And they'll say, well, I'm in a larger body. I'm like, that doesn't matter. You're not eating enough. You know, you're not getting enough nutrients in. And I've always described it kind of like, um, the body works in a hierarchy, right? Like, um, if we're not getting the nutrients we need, it's only going to use what it needs for vital, vital function. And it's not going to think about reproduction as a vital function if it's not getting all of the nutrients and pieces of the puzzle that it needs. And so if I, if I, when I tell a client, well, I need you eating more because if this is really what our goal is, we need to tell the body, Hey, I got your back. I'm taking care of you. You can do the things that we need to do. I got my vitals unlock. Now we can start supporting the other areas of my body that maybe you haven't prioritized because I haven't been giving you everything that we need because I've been told a bunch of bullshit lies for, (laughs) for years about how I need to handle this. And I think one of the things that can be really infuriating to me is I think about that a lot. And I wonder like, why isn't that, is that included in the research? Like, so these people might have a larger might have a larger body, but they're also people in larger bodies are also more prone to dieting behaviors, more yeah. dieting. So are they looking at nutrient deficiencies? Are we looking at malnourishment? No, we're not looking at that at all. It's wild. And the amount of fertility clinics that will, for anybody, folks who are in bigger bodies, folks who are in smaller bodies, anybody will be prescribing them things like keto diets. And I'm just like this just blows my mind because it is not evidence-based they are just going to be creating these nutritional deficiencies at the worst possible time when you're going into fertility treatment and it just yeah it makes me so angry oh my gosh it's infuriating and I think what makes it even even so much more like for one I want everyone to get something positive from this episode (laughs) (laughs) I think it's doom and gloom but I think one of the things that makes it really frustrating for me is that they're using this this bias to deny people access to supportive fertility treatments and things like IVF. And so I know you, one, have groups and things like that and workshops and you talk about it a lot. I'd love for you to share with the listeners, how do you encourage people to advocate for themselves if they don't have access to a fertility doctor or an endocrinologist or a reproductive endocrinologist who might be more weight inclusive. Yeah. And the first thing that I always tell folks is that this work is not work that you should have to do. Like you should not have to, you know, big yourself up, prep for this, practice, research, like you should have automatic access to this, but this is not a world we live in as yet and so like I always recommend that people spend a lot of time before they go into these appointments preparing so preparing questions that they want to ask I create loads of research handouts that people can print off take in with them so that they can have like a conversation and if the doctor says hey okay well I can't give you this because of this risk they can be like okay well here are all the research papers that show that that risk is minimal or here are all the papers that show that you know 
the risk is higher, but this is the number and you know, that's up to me to make that decision on whether I accept that risk or not. So it's really about giving them the information so that they can have um, a more impactful conversation with that doctor and hopefully um, encourage that doctor to give them body autonomy, to, to not give them because they already have it, but to allow them to access their body autonomy and make those decisions themselves. Because for so many fat people, they are infantilized, they are made to feel that they cannot make these decisions about their own healthcare themselves, which they absolutely should. And that should be the underpinning of every single healthcare conversation that they have. So it's about people, I think, letting people know that they're in charge of their healthcare, they, they should be able to make these decisions themselves and giving them all the information that they need in order to make an informed decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's an important piece too. And also arming people with the research available too. Cause if you're not someone who is a, a nerd like me and like, like, <laughs> like you who likes to go and read up on research and can dig through all of that and has the trained eye to dig through all of that. It's really nice to be able to have that available because I can imagine, and I've been in this position before too, when someone's challenging something of yours um, and they're in a position of authority to you, a doctor is a perceived authority. Um, it can be really intimidating to go and say that and to feel like you have to persuade them. And it's not about persuading them as much as it is about advocating for yourself and kind of showing, Hey, I'm a person here too. Let's think about the different aspects of all of this and how can we navigate this together so that I can have my goal as well. And I think that's really important for people to kind of note, note, as well as that it's not about changing their minds, although it'd be amazing if we did, that's the ultimate goal, but that's also not, you're not your crusade, right? Like that doesn't have to be yours. Your crusade is building your family and being able to do that with um, the tools that are available to you and the medical um, support that's, av that's available and that should be available to you regardless of um, the stigma that's attached to different things or because of the bot of your body size. Um, and I'm wondering too, I'd love for you to share some, some thoughts for, for things that people can do at home to support their body and fertility and get support, um, in preparation for maybe having some of those conversations, maybe some things that they can do to kind of help support their body. And so they can go in ready saying, Hey, no, actually I'm already doing these things. These are the things that I'm doing to support myself. A lot of times when you're in a larger body, we're not even asked what our lifestyle is. Um, you're just kind of, a, it's assumed. And so I would love for you to share some of those things that you really encourage people to do to support their fertility. So the first thing that I always say is that you don't assume that you're going to have problems if you're in a bigger body. There is absolutely no reason to believe that you will struggle to get pregnant, that there is going to be any issues at all in you getting pregnant. Um, but if you want to do some things to take care of yourself at home while you're preparing, you know, and going through this journey, then, of course, the first one is eating enough like just making sure that you are getting enough on board to support your health and then just to help your body feel safe, secure, knowing that it's always going to have that fuel coming in so that it can support a pregnancy when it's time. Um, the second thing I always recommend is rest, whether that is getting good quality sleep, whether that's just making sure that you have time for yourself to do things that you love, to do things that you enjoy, just having time for you because in our culture, in our society, that is just not prioritized and 
rest is so helpful for folks of all bodies of all sizes um, I think we all need more rest and more time for ourselves in order to pursue the things that we love um, and then the third thing that I recommend to folks is to find a way of moving your body either with joy or with intention um, because exercise and movement can be a really beautiful way to support your health if you want to it should always be an option and folks in bigger bodies can often have complicated relationships with exercise just because of the way that the exercise movement and the exercise industry is. Um, but whether that's a five minute walk around the garden, whether that is, you know, a really simple chair yoga routine, like whatever is accessible to you, movement can be a really beautiful way of reducing your stress levels, of um, helping you feel stronger in your body, of feeling better and have more energy. It can have a lot of beautiful benefits if you can navigate it with intention without like finding a way to navigate it without weight stigma and yeah looking at ways that it can support your health and well-being if that's something you choose to look at I love all of those things and I feel like those are things that we are common themes on the <laughs> podcast so that's like, honestly, one of the things that I've been describing it to clients, the things that you're talking about, like eating enough, getting enough rest and, and movement. I've been calling it like your own, like we're like complicated plants and that we need to kind of take care of ourselves. You know, we need some food, we need some rest, we need some movement, we need sunlight, uh, we need water. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. These basic things. And I was thinking too about how, um, mother to mother, practicing getting rest and building that into <laughs> your life pre-pregnancy and during pregnancy is going to be really helpful post-pregnancy too. When you're in the weeds of, uh, of motherhood and parenthood in general and having, um, you know, that time with your child and feeling like kind of exhausted and being able to know how to navigate that is going to be so important too, and that you're going to need that later. And so what, a, and all of the above, right? I've often said to, you know, a well-fed mom is a much happier mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I love what you say about practice as well. Like this is an eternal practice. We are never going to get this perfect. It is going to change with the seasons. And I think the most important thing above all else is to put our own needs first, whatever those needs are. Oh, I love that. It's so true. And I feel like there's so much with um, that in what a theme in motherhood and it starts pre, you know, pre parenthood. Mm -hmm. It really does start there. And it, I think in so many ways, it's so important and what a beautiful way to kind of learn how to advocate for yourself and to, and to practice your own self-preservation and self um, um, taking tell, yeah, self-preservation and just kind of taking care of your own fundamental foundational needs, um, throughout the entire journey of parenthood. And that really does start at the beginning of the whole journey. Mm, and the way that I like to describe it to folks is like the skills that they're learning now, their children are going to see them doing that. And that is going to pass that on to them. They are breaking that cycle of dieting, of body hatred, and their kids are going to grow up in a world where it's okay to love your body and food is just this brilliant thing we can enjoy and it's okay to put yourself first and rest and I just think that is such a spectacular thing to learn now to pass on to your future kids. Absolutely. I um I feel like my my own personal journey was so was very similar to that. You know, I mean I had my own dieting history and all of the things and um I was 
anti-diet before I had Elodie, but pregnant with Elodie really drove it home for me because I remember being pregnant with her and being like, under no circumstances do I want her growing up in this world where this is how things are going to be. And I sure as hell don't want her seeing her mother do it. And I want her to her to see her mother, uh, calling people out in front of <laughs> around it too and saying, Hey, you know, that's not how we talk about bodies. And now everyone has the right to, to weight inclusive care. And it doesn't matter what your body looks like. And I, I love that. And I think it's such an important thing. And it really does start with you, you know, your own personal relationship with your body. And also too, and it's undoing the, the bias that other people have put on you mm-hmm. throughout the entire process. And, um, I, I remember so much fear in the beginning of pregnancy when you're first starting off just in general. And there's so much fear around pregnancy loss because we hear so much about it. Thankfully we hear so much more about it and it's not happening in quiet corners anymore. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. And that we're talking about it more because it is common. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also really important for people to know that that's not your fault, you know? And I think that that goes beyond like well beyond body size. It has nothing to do with that. Sometimes awful things happen in life, you know? And I think, um, for, for a place for people to go to learn that, Hey, this might not be your fault. And I don't want you blaming yourself for it is so vitally important. And so I'm so happy about the work that you're doing. And I want more people (laughs) doing that work and talking about it. And I'm sure you have resources and places that you, that you, um, I know you mentioned a book earlier and you mentioned, um, some resources for your clients and things like that. And on your website, with doctors and and physicians and things of that nature that can be helpful. And so I think it's so important to, to have that, those resources available. And I'm so glad that you're doing this work. Um, Women need to hear this, but parents need to hear this, not just women. I just want to clarify Uh, any person who's trying to be a parent deserves to hear this um, and needs to have that kind of support. So if there's one thing that you want everyone to know um, listening to this, this, listening to this episode of the podcast and hearing your message, what do you want them to know? I think I want them to know that they aren't alone. Like so many folks in bigger bodies don't feel that they can talk about this because they feel like it's their fault. They feel like that people are going to judge them and shame them for wanting to get pregnant in a bigger body. And I just want people to know that you aren't alone in this. There are so many people in bigger bodies who want to grow their families and that aren't able to access the care and support that they need. Um, And you absolutely deserve to have a community, people around you who understand, who will listen to whatever you're going through. And, you know, maybe those are people in your life already, you know, your family, friends who will be able to support you. But regardless of who you have around you right now, you absolutely deserve to have a community of folks to support you in growing your family because you absolutely deserve that right to be able to grow your family to as many, many kids as you want. Oh, what a perfect message. I can't imagine another way to wrap up the episode, but I want you to also share with us 
where people can find you, what you have coming up, anything new, things that resources, all of the things, anything you want to share or how people can find you, work with you, et cetera. Yeah. So all my information is on my website, which is nicolasalmon.co.uk or Instagram at Fat Positive Fertility. The thing I'm most excited for this year is I'm launching like a um, a community, like a really um, a lower cost community support. So it starts at five dollars a month um, Mm -hmm. and folks can come and find community, find other folks who are going through similar experiences. I do a group coaching call every month in there. Folks can ask questions. I share resources like it's just a way of me being able to share myself for um, as low a cost as I'm able to so people can access my work regardless of what they get paid and, and what they have available to share on this so um, yeah that's they're called the Fat and Fertile Alliance um, so if you're interested in, in coming and having more support finding more resources then that's a great first step to look at. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, I'll snag the, we'll put everything in the show notes and everything in here as well. So thank you so much, Nicola, for coming on. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you and talking about such an important topic um, that needs so much more airtime and going into all of it. And I really love the work that you're doing and advocating for people who need to hear this message that they don't have to lose weight or change their body in order to grow their family. Um, and that there is access to support that can help you um, without shaming you at the same time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.